guys. I'm uh, culturally appropriating Taylor Swift's song for my Christian purposes. Hopefully that's okay. It's finally time for another podcast. Sorry that I lied and said that I would be doing them every other week and then I didn't do it for like two weeks. Oh, I've been really busy, but today it's happening and it's coming from the podcast's official new home, which is Stasios, www.stasios.net. That's spelled S-T-A-S-E-O-S. If you listen to the last episode and not episode 10, which I'll talk about in a minute, but episode nine, I sort of gave you a little sneak peek preview of Stasios and we finally launched it and it's got a lot of really great stuff on there. The vision behind Stasios is a platform for the bold dissident Christian voice. So hopefully, you know, we're going to live up to our name and cause a lot of uproars and force people to have important conversations that they're not currently having. Oh, that brings me to my last podcast episode, which was episode 10. And I apologize to the 12 people who listened to that before I deleted it. I thought it was all good to go. It's called The Boogeyman, if you're wondering. It was called The Boogeyman. Um, I thought it was all set and I uploaded it and then I listened to it like a few hours later and I realized there was a four minute pause in the middle of it and just some mixed up words. I'll be honest, I was kind of tired and it's just really hard to make podcasts with a toddler around. So I was not sending my best that day. So I will re-record The Boogeyman and get that uploaded as soon as I can. But today's episode is going to be about Jordan Peterson and I'm going to have a guest it is Ian Hewitt, who's actually the co-founder of Stasios. Super excited to be doing this project with him. And Ian stirred up controversy this week when he wrote a piece for Stasios criticizing one of Jordan Peterson's ideas. So uh, first of all, how dare you, Ian? God have mercy on me, a sinner. <laughs> yes, it was you. You ruffled many feathers. You're not allowed to say anything bad about Jordan Peterson. He is the sweet baby Jesus of our times. So uh, before we get into the specifics of all the different issues that people had with Ian's article, um, let me just say a couple things. And I think I speak for Ian here too. I will let him express his thoughts in just a moment. Um, I am glad that Jordan Peterson has a lot of fans. I think he has a lot of valuable things to say. I think he's very intelligent and witty and enigmatic, and he's a very good Marxist slayer, and he's obviously helped a lot of people, particularly people who have been ignored and vilified and brainwashed for a long time. I think some of the most kind of moving things I've heard about Jordan Peterson are how young men have read his book or listened to his talk and just felt a renewed purpose and a renewed interest in philosophy and seeking the truth. And I think that, that he is obviously a very valuable person. However, I do think it is completely warranted to criticize him sometimes, especially when he makes very strange, nonsensical statements about belief in God. Ian, your thoughts on that? Well, and even if they weren't nonsensical, I would criticize him for saying that you shouldn't say you believe in God because I'm a Christian. So, you know, you, you mentioned Peterson and moving a moment ago. And when I heard you say moving, I thought immediately of Peterson's talk at Liberty, where that, I don't know if you saw that video, that young man ran up to him and said, I'm so-and-so and I need help. Can you help me? Yes. And Peterson kind of went over to him and comforted him. 
And he was on a Christian campus, but this guy wasn't going up to, you know, Gary Habermas, no offense to Gary Habermas, who's a wonderful scholar, but he wasn't going up to any of the Christian leaders acting this way. He was going up to Jordan Peterson. And uh, Jordan Peterson responded in a very Christ-like manner. And I, I admire Jordan Peterson. And I said that at the beginning and at the end of the column. And I said that I've been following him since 2018. I did, just as you said, I disagreed with him on one point. And it is a point, whether you ought to believe in God and affirm that you believe in God, where any Christian would be expected to disagree with him. So it's very curious that you have people who self-identify as Christians, and they will defend Jordan Peterson even where any Christian would be expected to disagree with him. I was responding to him defensively. And I think it's worth kind of wondering about what vacuum is there in the church that would make people feel such a deep-seated need to latch on to Peterson in this way and then do any kind of mental gymnastics that they need to do to defend him and position him so that he's always in the right he can't right. be criticized yeah that's very true as we'll we'll get into some of the comments because there are a lot of mental gymnastics going on just to sort of protect jordan peterson from any kind of criticism which i think jordan peterson could handle it i think he could read your article and not well, not only that but jordan peterson never encourages his followers to respond to people in this way so yes. you know yes that's a very good point so negatively if you're a Peterson fan. And, you know, I, I can't remember where I saw this. It was uh, it was getting a fair bit of traffic, I think, but it, it was like a Facebook post or a tweet. Some Christian had tweeted out, we don't need a new John Calvin and we don't need a Christian Jordan Peterson. We just need good, ordinary Christian men and women. And I, I take it this person was responding to someone who'd been saying, we need a new bold Christian uh, thinking leader in the model of Jordan Peterson or of John Calvin. And you know, to that person, I would say, if what you're saying is right, that we don't need strong leadership like the kind Peterson offers the people that follow him, why are people so deeply emotionally invested um, in the church, even in Peterson, to such an extent that they'll defend Peterson when he says that you shouldn't say you believe in God? Yeah. It's just kind of like if you don't uh, worship something or if you tell yourself that you're not worshiping something, you're really just worshiping some earthly thing unconsciously. I think if we in the church tell people you don't need strong leadership of some kind, you will find some strong leader to follow. It just won't be someone in the church. And I think yeah. that's what's happened. Do you want to just give kind of a quick summary of the article? Obviously, people can read it and get more deeply into it, but maybe just what you're responding to, the points you made, so then that way we can get into the criticisms of it. Sure. So the, the article is called, I Dare Say I Believe in God, and I named it in response to a long talk Peterson gave called Who Dares Say He Believes in God, and also a follow-up uh, conversation that he did after this lecture. I linked both of those in the article, and you can watch them in their entirety. And other than the stuff where he's criticizing theism, I, I agreed with almost everything that he said in them. He, you know, in the first lecture, he has a great criticism of Marxism, just because Peterson kind of likes to, to riff on things and think organically. But then he gets into his primary topic, which is why he will not say he believes in God. And you shouldn't say that you believe in God either, according to Peterson. Yeah. And I'm, I'm challenging the structure of his reasoning there in refusing to affirm theism and that God exists. Perfect. 
So this was the first article that we promoted on Stasios, and it's by far <laughs> the most contentious one. I thought for sure Taylor Swift would be would be more <laughs> more of a sticking point for people, but nope. Apparently she is not protected like Jordan Peterson is. So here, well, the- it's funny. I was I was talking just a minute ago about how we needed Christian Jordan Peterson. I guess we already do kind of have Christian Taylor Swift. So <laughs> that that niche is already satisfied. Uh, so they're not as defensive about this Taylor is Swift true. as about people. That's a good point. <laughs> we have plenty of those. So the main criticisms, I kind of went through and combed all the comment sections in the various places and found the most interesting ones besides, you know, like fake news <laughs> and garbage and all these little rude, rude little responses. I tried to find actual wow. criticisms that engaged with the ideas a little bit. And the three primary criticisms that I think the comments fall into are one, that you are allegedly misrepresenting what Peterson said. We'll come back to that. The second one, second criticism of the article is that you and Peterson are using different definitions of belief. I think one guy said that and then like a bunch of people ran with it. And then the third criticism is that what Peterson is saying is actually really profound and helpful in persuading people to believe in God. So those are the three main criticisms that we're going to give you a chance to sort of respond to here. Starting from the beginning, that you are allegedly misrepresenting what Peterson said. Here is what one reader had to say about that. He says, In the talk, I saw that Peterson never even used the word theist. His argument was that one should not take the statement lightly because if one actually believes God exists, they are obligated to at least attempt to live as such, as if there is really an omnipotent being watching your every action, and that sadly, many don't. So do you just want to take a second and respond to that? He has a follow-up comment as well. Yeah, a lot of people had responses along these lines where they chose to interpret Peterson's talk as saying, those of you who say you believe in God, you better be taking that really seriously and striving to live that out. But if you watch Peterson's talk, Peterson actually inverts that relationship. So here are a few different things Peterson said. This is from the primary talk, uh, who dares say he believes in God. First, he said, because I'm not like that 100% of the time, meaning a good person, I'm not going to say I believe. That was towards the end of the talk. Remember, this talk is primarily about why he won't say he believes in God. He starts off the talk by saying, People always ask me this. I don't like this question. I have this canned set of responses. And let me develop why I won't say yes to that question. He also says, if you're not the best person, you can possibly be on an ongoing basis. I don't see what right you have to say you believe in God. And at another point, he says he's not going to say that he believes in God because saying you believe in God when you're not the best person you can possibly be on an ongoing basis or 100% of the time is like asking God to strike you with lightning if you don't live it out. So again, he is not saying if you believe in God or if you attest to belief in God, strive to live that out. He's saying because you and I are not good 100% of the time, don't say that you believe in God. Mm. The action item is to not say you believe in God. And as if that's not enough, in the sort of crescendo of the talk, he says, don't say you believe in him. So that's the thesis of his talk. That's the action item we take away here. 
Yeah. And, you know, Peterson actually does recognize that no one is good 100% of the time and that uh, no one is even the best person they can possibly be on an ongoing basis. And he even, he to make his point, he quotes Christ as saying, no one is good but God alone. And he's making this, this point in order to suggest that because you are not good enough, you ought not to be attesting to believe in God. So he really does recognize that the conclusion of his argument is don't say you believe in God and no one can say that they believe in God. So I think that anyone who insists on interpreting his talk as just calling believers to action rather than calling people not to affirm belief is doing a lot of mental gymnastics and they're not honestly taking what Peterson said to heart and just taking him at his word. Yeah, there, there's this assumption that because he's good on so many other issues, he must be a kind of secret Christian. <laughs> he's a good man. He has some Christ-like traits, and therefore he's secretly a Christian, and we need to interpret everything he says in that framework. But you would never expect from reading the Bible, for instance, that anyone who is good and intelligent and insightful and makes good points, it automatically follows that they're in Christ. Right. But that seems right. to be where some people are coming from. Well, and if he was assuming he was a secret Christian, then right, he would read and believe the Bible. And one cannot read the Bible and come to the conclusion that they should never say that they believe in God. <laughs> or, you know, like like his action right. item, his, a- his action item is not a Christian action item. Like it's not what Christian right. is. And if, if he were calling you to live out your faith as fully as possible, one of the things he would be calling you to do is to affirm that you believe in God, yes. not to say that you don't believe in God. Right. So that's clearly not his point. Almost every lecture that Peterson gives now, he makes this point where he says, I'm really encouraged by the fact that many, many people are listening to these long form lectures and podcasts, and they're listening to you know three hour intellectual discussions in their cars or on a run or when they're doing the dishes. And I think that's right, and I am encouraged by that too. But I also think that this environment has produced a sort of uh, Dunning-Kruger effect, I think it's called, where for every person that does listen to a three-hour lecture, you have some people who just see quotations from those lectures, Mm -hmm. but they feel as if they're participating and as if they have listened to the lecture and they've digested and understand the point. Um, When really, you know, there were people that were accusing me of saying, uh, of totally misrepresenting what Peterson said in places where I was just quoting his words verbatim. Right, exactly. So there are a lot of people that are very confident that they deeply and fully understand Peterson's views when they, they didn't listen to the lecture or hear the quotations that I was talking about. Right. Yes. Because one of the follow-up comments to that original one that I read is that person says, Peterson isn't giving the Christian perspective, though. He's giving his own. Also, he never says anything about being good 100% of the time. He simply says that the idea of God implies quite a bit of responsibility, which isn't what he simply said, right? Peterson never added point just simply says God implies quite a lot of responsibility. There's a lot more, as you've been saying, to what he said than that, right? Right. I mean, first of all, the the response, he's not giving a Christian perspective. He's giving his own. Well, yeah, that's why I'm criticizing him. I don't don't know where (laughs) this person is coming from. 
<laughs> right. You know, if, if, if it was an article by Richard Dawkins or something, and I responded and said, and no, you're wrong. And here are some compelling intellectual reasons to think that God exists. Would this person respond and say, well, you're missing the point because Dawkins is an atheist. He's not giving a Christian. <laughs> Well, the I person, have no idea what's going this on. person is coming from is, protecting Jordan Peterson at all costs. <laughs> right. That's the premise, exactly. Yeah. Right. He he does say, uh, because I'm not like that 100% of the time, I'm not going to say I believe. And pay attention to two things there. One, he does say 100% of the time. And two, where is the causal arrow going? In every one of these statements, the causal arrow is from moral imperfection, moral fallenness, to therefore do not affirm theism. Yeah. Every time he yeah. makes these kinds of statements, that is the, the action item or the kind of ultimate purpose of the statement. Okay. And then um, the next kind of comment that I think the larger comment surrounding, oh, maybe you're misrepresenting what Peterson said is one that I guess this person is kind of categorizing it as psychology versus philosophy, but I'm sure you'll have an interesting response to it. This, this reader says... I think what Peterson means by this is he's not saying you don't have a belief in God necessarily, but that your belief is not fully validated or strong enough, since despite claiming to have belief, we act contrary to said belief. He goes on to say, I'm looking at his statements for more of a psychological perspective of congruence and a philosophical assertion since he's a psycholo sorry since he's a psychologist however get this is a philosophical assumption that yeah he's probably going to get annihilated hmm that's weird so, <laughs> yeah, I go think ahead. That this person's point was that there's two different definitions of belief there's a philosophical and a psychological ah, and okay. this person was saying this person was saying to me you, Ian, are using a philosophical definition of believe, um, an epistemological definition like our, our mutual friend Liz might use, yes. that wouldn't require absolute, perfect coherence in your behavior with that belief. But Peterson is using a psychologist's definition of belief. And the unspoken premise in this person's criticism is a psychologist's definition of belief requires that you behave congruently with that proposition 100% of the time or perfectly consistent with it on some kind of ongoing basis. And regardless of what kind of definition he's using, if he is just proffering a different definition of believe here, it is a useless definition because we don't behave consistently with any of our beliefs 100% of right. the time. And this is the point I try to draw out by you know, making some of these analogies to, for example, a marriage. Uh, you know, if the definition of believe is you act consistently with it 100% of the time, then you don't believe that you're married if you aren't the best spouse you can be 100% of the time. Yeah. You don't believe yeah. that you love your spouse if you're not the best spouse you can possibly be on an ongoing basis. And it's, it's notable here that Peterson clearly, he doesn't just mean you love God and are in a relationship with God when he says belief. He's talking about, I won't even, Peterson, won't even affirm that God exists because one of his standard responses is, I'm afraid that God might exist. So, you know, it, it's like not only if you're an imperfect spouse, can you not affirm that you're married? You can't even affirm that your spouse exists <laughs> on his standard. Yeah. And since, since God is a relational person and commitment to God is relational, you know, as is meeting God halfway and affirming the reality of a uh, creator who designed the universe and loves us, wants a relationship with us. I think that is the right framework in which to understand 
the commitment that Peterson is saying you ought not to affirm. You answered that very well because I was having a hard time tracking exactly what that person meant. That was good. Um, And then probably the last one I'll let you respond to to hear as far as misinterpreting Peterson. Somebody says, I think you're looking into things to criticize him for because many people are having a better understanding of Christianity from him than many churches. Is that true, Ian? Is that your secret motive? Is you're really mad That's at Jordan it. Peterson? You know me. Whatever, <laughs> any problems in the church, I just defend them. Uh, you're un- not pleased that Jordan Peterson could be helping Christians. That's why you wrote this. That's why. <laughs> you, but you know, it's interesting. I, that person's actually right. Um, but I think that Jordan Peterson uh, offers a more intellectual understanding of Christianity than many churches, not because Jordan Peterson is an expert on Christianity. Uh, you know, he clearly misunderstands certain basic Christian beliefs, but because many churches are so abhorrently unintellectual and just lacking in this department. Whereas Peterson, he's at least talking about spiritual and transcendent questions in an intellectually rigorous way. And this is a part of why many people are attracted to it. That's a good point. So it's not so much that Peterson is a shining beacon of Christian understanding. It's just that many churches are not, unfortunately. Um, We kind of touched on the different definitions of belief that you and Peterson are allegedly using. Someone said, belief in God, the way Peterson is using it and the way you're using it are completely different. Sure, on some level, you need to affirm his existence and Peterson actually does in acknowledging objective morality, but what he's talking about here is a much deeper meaning of belief. Theism is just the proposition that God exists and Peterson is explaining why he refuses to affirm that God exists. This person says at the beginning of their comment, Peterson actually does affirm that God exists because he affirms objective morality. And then later they recognize Peterson refuses to affirm that God exists. So, you know, I mean, look, we can play semantic games all day here, but to affirm a proposition is to say that that proposition is true. Yeah. And if you do not say it's true that God exists, then you don't affirm God's existence. They seem to have this notion that you automatically affirm some premise uh, if you, I don't know, if, if you affirm a particular conclusion, then you automatically affirm the necessary preconditions of that conclusion seems to be the idea. Oh, yes. Right. So it's like saying, um, you know, I, I would not exist if my parents didn't exist. So if you affirm my existence, you must automatically be affirming the existence of my parents. But that that's, doesn't follow at all. You could clearly just say... You know, well, there's some other explanation for why Ian exists. Even if what you're saying ultimately makes no sense, people hold logically contradictory beliefs as Peterson recognizes. And you're certainly not going to have any kind of friendship with my parents if you don't acknowledge that they exist. (laughs) Uh, Just because you acknowledge me and I follow from my parents' existence or I depend on their existence doesn't mean that you recognize that they exist or, or can relate to them. And many atheists, by the way, do do believe that there are objective moral duties. Often those objective moral duties are the inverse of the duties that Christians affirm. You have many Marxists. I mean, Marxists are not uh, postmodernist subjectivists. They clearly believe in an objective moral foundation that's impersonal. It doesn't follow from that that they acknowledge God's existence. Right. Yeah, that, that does it. The rest of the comment is kind of convoluted and complicated, so I think that's sufficient. Um, but let me, yeah, let me riff on this just a little yeah, bit no, more go for because, it. so I, I want to again reaffirm that the action item of all of his statements is that you shouldn't affirm God's existence. 
And you can, if you're still not following me and you're listening, you can clearly see this if you just take anything that Peterson says and sub in another relationship instead of theism. So imagine I said, you know, because I'm not a good man 100% of the time, I'm not going to say I do do a marriage. You know, if I gave a lecture and that was the theme of the lecture, would anyone say, oh, Ian is actually, he's not criticizing marriage. He's calling us to a deeper affirmation of marriage. No, you wouldn't say that. You would say he's teaching people to die alone. <laughs> he's teaching people eternal isolation from God. This is hellbound teaching. You're teaching people wait indefinitely until you're perfect to come to God. That's the antithesis of the message of the gospel. It's not a call to a deeper relationship with God. And you can see that just by making his statements about anything else. That's a good point. Right. Well, and I think just, I don't know, from my less, you have thought about this more deeply and in more detail than I have, obviously, because you've written a whole article about it. A very good article, by the way. But just to me, the idea that the fact that that is sort of his thesis, that you should not say you believe in God, it's just a weird thesis, <laughs> like of all the things that we should not do. That the one, the conclusion that he is, and I guess it's 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 linked back to the idea that he doesn't like this question and he doesn't like answering it. And so that's kind of why he's working with this thesis. But so many of these responses to your article have to do with he's actually calling you to do these good things. And he's really not. He's pretty simply just calling you to not say that you believe in God. <laughs> that's it, right? That's essentially... Right. Yeah. Every time he tells you to do something in the talk, that's what he's telling you to do. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if it were the other way around, he'd be saying, I believe in God. And because that's so important, I am striving to be the best person I can possibly be on an ongoing basis. Right. And he could have said that, you know, and I guess that kind of brings us to our next one, which is that well, a lot of people he could have even said, you theists, you people who do say you believe in God, I'm calling you to be the best people you yes. can possibly be. But no, he doesn't say that. He quotes Jesus as saying, no one is good but God alone. And his, he argues, therefore, I don't see what right you have to say you believe in God. So, I mean, we, sh we shouldn't need to explain this in this much detail. Yeah. We shouldn't need to, to be explaining that Peterson didn't secretly mean the opposite of what <laughs> he said. He can be a good teacher on many subjects and he can be beneficial he can he can have christ-like aspects to his personality and just not be a christian that is a thing that happens this ought to make us these things ought to make us want to invite him into the church and make us want to evangelize to him all the more what we shouldn't do is just kind of pretend to ourselves that he already is some sort of secret christian so that we don't have to worry about that yeah, it's a tough pill to swallow, everybody. Jordan Peterson's not a Christian. Yet. Who knows? Who knows? Although if he sticks to this weird principle where he can't say he believes in God, it's not looking good for him. But things could turn around. Right. Um, Someone's going to have to challenge. And, you know, no one's going to challenge this structure of argument unless they recognize that he means what he's actually saying. Exactly. Kind of the last weirdest but also probably most implicit widespread response to your article is that really Peterson because like we've said he's very valuable he's very smart um what he's actually saying here with all of its strangeness is actually just very profound 
and helpful in persuading people to believe in God. Someone says, he literally is saying, faith without works is dead. He means that, yeah, you say you believe in him, him being God, but do but do you do as he commands? And how dare you say you believe in him if you don't behave like it? Peterson's comment is about theism, not Christianity in particular. If his comments were particular, falling short of being the best Christian is an elemental foundation of Christianity. It's not an objective to theism. It's a challenge to believe in God at the deepest level. Yeah, this person seems to be saying, well, you know, don't be defensive because he's not challenging your Christian beliefs. He's just challenging theism, <laughs> Christianity. But obviously, if you're called to offer a defense for the hope that is within you, that entails offering a defense for the existence of God, which is what Paul does, by the way, in Romans, among other places. So as far as this idea that he's just saying faith without works is dead, you know, two points here. One, and this is, by the way, a relatively minor and insignificant point, but still important. James does not say faith, if it is not good 100% of the time, is dead. Mm, yeah. There's nothing like that in the New Testament. John the Baptist and Jesus don't teach a tree that is not the best tree it can possibly be on an ongoing basis will be cut down and thrown into the fire. It says a tree that does not bear fruit. A tree can bear fruit and not be a perfect tree or a maximally good tree. So that, that's an insignificant point. There's a distinction as to the amount of goodness that we're speaking about or the amount of fruit. But the major point here is at no point do any of these statements about works following from faith suggest anything like wait until you are good enough to come to God. Wait until you are good enough to affirm that Christ is your savior. Uh, don't affirm that Christ is your savior unless you're good enough for Christ. Otherwise, it's like tempting him to strike you down with lightning. That is, if anything, the opposite of the gospel. Jesus meets people halfway. People can say to him, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And even in a wretched condition, God wants to have a relationship with you. A central part of the essence of the gospel is recognizing our own fallenness and a need for God that comes from that fallenness. And nonetheless, we have grace available to us and can take hold of it. And God will lift us out of our wretched condition. It's not, you know, first perfect yourself of your own volition. And then maybe God will want a relationship with you. Or then you'll be good enough to affirm that Christ exists. So again, the, the relationship here is inverted. You know, it's notable that Peterson's argument, and I make this point in the column, isn't an evidential argument. So some people seem to be kind of accusing me of, well, you know, Peterson obviously thinks the evidence for God is inadequate, and you're just assuming as an unspoken premise that God exists. And the part of the reason I didn't really get into natural theology is Peterson never quite raises any evidential objection. His whole argument for not affirming God's existence is about your own uh, moral humility and moral inadequacy. So no matter what evidence that Peterson had, if we were to take him at his word, this argument would still hold for him. So I make the point of if Jordan Peterson were Peter and Christ took Peterson's hand and walked him across the Sea of Galilee, it would still be true that Jordan Peterson is not the best person he could possibly be on an ongoing basis. In fact, Peter was clearly not the best person he could possibly be on an ongoing basis. He denied Christ after uh, being walked across the water. And so, you know, it's not evidential. No matter what evidence he had, Peterson would still make the same point. And so that's why I'm able to make this marriage analogy. Mm. 
-hmm. is that it's not about the evidence. It's about the nature of relational commitment. You don't wait for, for, for perfection. You don't hold back indefinitely. You experimentally commit and you jump in. Otherwise, you're never going to access the fruit of being in the relationship. Right. The commitment comes first in any yeah. relationship, human or a relationship with God. Yeah. Well, it even kind of on an unrelated note reminds me of that meme that we were just in the libertarian Christian group. The people, someone post posted it jokingly about you know girls who post girls who may otherwise be desirable but post <laughs> cliche Bible verses. And in a weird way, you know, it's like, well, yeah. You, can you wait? You should you wait until she's. Uh, <laughs> a theologian, apologist, historian, or maybe you should take her on a date and get to know her and learn about her. And then, you know, like, it's kind of similar. I don't know. Struck me. (laughs) No, it's perfectly similar. You're waiting for perfect assurance that this is the right relationship before you commit to the relationship. And if you do that, you're never going to commit to a relationship. If you, if you wait for any perfect precondition, I mean, certainly your own because we're fallen into sin and you're always going to do what you know you should not. Um, That's a central necessary teaching of the Christian faith. If we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. And John is not, by the way, talking about their just sin prior to your conversion. He's talking about right now. If you say you're without sin, you're lying to yourself. But in any situation, if you wait for perfect assurance before you commit you will never get the benefits of the commitment. And that's why we have to say, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Meet right. me where I am. And even taken where Jordan Peterson takes it that step further, it's not even like, I'm, I'm sure you could say this more eloquently, but it's not even that that relationship or that person that you could have this relationship with if you were not imperfect, you can't even affirm that they exist in the first place, right? You, what, you see what I'm right. getting at? It's that extra I level. I think that is the analogy. That's yeah. the analogy because it's very clear Peterson isn't talking just about relational commitment to God. He, he won't even say that God exists. So right. for that reason, we can say if we apply the same thinking to a marriage, not only is he saying you ought not to say you love your spouse or that you are married, but you shouldn't even affirm their existence. Right. And if you can't affirm their existence, you can't love them, right? Right. So and I'm not, again, people said, well, you're begging the question there because Peterson doesn't think there's adequate evidence for God's mm-hmm. existence. But nothing in Peterson's argument has anything to do with evidence for God's existence. Yeah. It's all about your own moral sufficiency. So since, since his argument is a closed system, we can draw, I think, a perfect analogy to uh, relational commitments in human context, marriages and other kinds of relationships. Absolutely. Okay. And then last comment here that I'm sure you'll have a very interesting response to. This one encapsulates Jordan Peterson as the secret Christian. Uh, He says, don't know why it takes an entire article to explain this. Firstly, he dodges the question in order to maintain his audience. Clearly stating belief is very polarizing and would alienate viewers. Secondly, I think he does this as an overall, quote, winning strategy against the Marxists. If he proclaims faith, then of course the argument shifts to theism slash atheism, which of course atheists are, quote, winning. Fact is, there is no concrete evidence of God's existence. It's faith-based. 
This will quickly transition to the fallacious argument from the Marxists of, see, Peterson believes in fairy tales, so on and so forth, bringing into question Peterson's credibility and intelligence. Sadly, many atheists, at least the ones I know, seem to think that belief and intelligence are mutually exclusive. This would reduce Peterson's effectiveness in re reaching these individuals. Lastly, okay, maybe he isn't one of us, but that doesn't mean he can't be in the future, wasn't previously, or secretly is now. He is at least furthering Christianity's goals, at least in my eyes. Well, I think the single most important thing that that person said is that there's no concrete evidence for God's existence. And obviously I would argue that there is concrete evidence for God's existence, but since that person would probably just set some arbitrary criteria to kind of slip their way out of that evidence, here's what I would say instead to that person. I would say, do you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? And this person has said, you know, it's just a matter of faith. I assume that person places their faith in the Bible. So if that's the case, Romans 1 says, God's existence is so evident in what has been created that we are without excuse for not believing it. So Paul is saying in the Bible, which I assume you have faith in or profess to, that the evidence for God's existence is overwhelming. It's obnoxious. It's so high that you have no excuse for not affirming that God exists. And then Paul does the same thing with the resurrection. Paul says, if we don't affirm the resurrection, then our faith is fruitless and pointless. And he backs up the resurrection with a long list of witnesses and says, there's so much evidence that most of these people are still alive and you can go talk to them. This is in 1 Corinthians 15. 500 people saw him at once. The whole point of all this is that there is overwhelming evidence and Paul is offering that evidence as a basis for affirming God's existence. So you, you have to affirm both. You can't pick one. If you affirm the Bible's authority on the basis of faith, then you must also affirm that evidence for God's existence is a valid basis for affirming that God exists. And I think that when Christians miss out on this point, uh, they ultimately end up in a kind of subjectivism and they end up thinking, well, God's existence isn't really objectively true in the sense that uh, other statements are objectively true. It's more something that's true in my heart or something. Mm. They don't say this out loud, but I, I really do think this is where anti-evidentialism, anti-intellectualism in the church lands people subconsciously. And as a result of that, you have people saying, like this guy does, you know, well, Peterson is doing more good for Christianity as a non-Christian. And so I hope that he stays that way. <laughs> you can't consistently be a secret Christian. If you deny Christ before man, then Christ will deny you before his father in heaven. Right. So you have to affirm that Christ exists if you're a Christian. And it's so ironic. I mean, again, this whole argument here is about the fruit that would follow from your faith if you had genuine faith. One piece of fruit that would follow from genuine faith is affirmation that God exists. So, you know, it's, it's precisely because I do want Peterson to be a Christian that I wrote this article. And, you know, I, I hope that someday analogous criticisms find their way to him and that persuades him to, to rethink his beliefs. And, you know, because I think he would make a fantastic Christian, that's what makes me, everyone obviously should have a saving knowledge of Christ. But in particular, the things that I admire about Peterson make me excited about the prospect of him putting all of his gifts to dedicating them to the growth and strengthening of the kingdom. And I think that's what we should all pray for. But I was just trying to think of any example in the Bible of someone being a secret Christian. There's not, right? Of someone hiding it, hiding their belief in God to be more persuasive? Well, uh, I don't think so. 
I want to. I want to make sure there's not like an analogous Old Testament thing. Oh, well, one idea that came to my mind that maybe someone can argue it would be tricky, but um, you know, there's lots of times in the New Testament following Jesus's ministry where the people around him want him to clearly state, you know, who he is in terms that they will understand, and he won't do it. I don't know. You know, they'll put the question back on them or that's just me thinking out loud here. How someone could say, is that Jesus being persuasive? Is that Jesus making Marxists rethink their position, I guess, (laughs) in today's world? Well, there are a few important disanalogies there, but the most important one is that in all of those verses, Jesus is not giving arguments as to why you should not affirm that he is the son of God. Mm. He's saying, I won't affirm this right now. And he, in the process of doing that, makes other true statements and criticisms of the Pharisees. And he pokes various holes in the arguments of people that are coming to him and asking him to make uh, an incriminating statement. He is withholding some aspect of the truth, but he's not giving an argument for denying any aspect of the truth, which is what Peterson is doing. Ah, yes, that's a good point. I'll go a step further, and I mentioned the Old Testament a moment ago. I think the most important Old Testament analogy here is, or story to look to to resolve this question, is probably Daniel 6, where there's a month that is ordained in which no one can pray to anyone except this pagan king. Who, under whom Daniel is a sort of high-ranking minister. And the whole reason that this law is enacted is to get Daniel in trouble because Daniel is in the habit of praying to God. And it's notable that not only does Daniel disobey that commandment, but Daniel could have consistently with his faith obeyed the commandment. Because remember, the commandment, the law, didn't say that you have to pray to the king it said you can't pray to anyone except the king for a month. Ah. So there's many different things Daniel could have done. Daniel could have just prayed silently in his head to God, could have done that. He could have just waited until the month was over and then prayed to God at the end of the month. Uh, Maybe there were various ways he could have weaseled his way around this law consistently with his conscience. But what does he do instead? He goes to his room, he opens his window, and he prays out loud so that people can hear him. So it's critical that if the world tries to place an obstacle between you and your faith, you don't come up with some persnickety lawyerly way to (laughs) technically satisfy your faith and also the requirements of the world at the same time as a testament to God. And because publicly affirming your relationship with God is so important, if anything, you go out of your way to disobey the commandment. John Calvin makes this point in his commentary on Daniel. You look for an opportunity to tell people that you're not going to conform to the law. And so Daniel, if anything, becomes even more outspoken in his faith in the face of a rule that he could have wound his way around instead. That's a very good point. I'm glad I asked. So I, the I would question. say not only is there not a precedent for what this person is calling for, where you ought to say that you shouldn't affirm belief in God in order to conceal your secret Christianity, but I think the Bible unambiguously teaches that precisely the opposite of that is true. Yeah. If there's social pressure, you defy the social pressure. 
you in fact look for opportunities to defy it as a testament to God's reality and his relationship with you. And one last little thought I just had thinking about this person's idea of like the secret Christianity. My experience is if you're dealing with, you know, a very staunch atheist or um, a person who is hostile to Christianity in some way, they're not they're not persuaded to believe in Christianity because you are timid and careful about talking about your Christianity. They might just like that because they don't want to hear about it or it gives them more uh, power in the relationship in a certain way. So I, I just don't even see the persuasiveness of that playing out in real life ever. Exactly. Um, and we've spoken about this before, how I repeatedly had experiences as a non-Christian where I think that in retrospect, the Christian I was arguing with and challenging was trying to, in essence, trying to act like a passive doormat because they thought that what they were doing was Christ-like mm -hmm. and would somehow be attractive to me and would make me find Christianity more compelling. When really I perceived that I was winning, mm -hmm. that they were yielding before me, that their weakness was evidence that they actually secretly didn't believe in their faith and I just needed to push harder. It was putting blood in the water in essence. And mm -hmm. you know, this, these comments are not even advocating for that kind of uh, passive and agreeable bare affirmation of your faith. They're apologizing for Peterson's allegedly concealing his secret faith <laughs> by saying that you shouldn't affirm God's existence. And I, I have too much regard for Peterson, by the way, to think that Peterson is capable of doing that. I, I think Peterson actually is a man of great character and integrity and intelligence. And precisely for that reason, I think that if Peterson were a Christian, he would not secretly conceal mm. it. He would do what the Bible clearly requires Christians to do. And so uh, my prayer for Peterson is that he would do that, that he would seriously interrogate these presuppositions and realize that they're wanting and so would come to a saving knowledge of God. I think that we've covered the whole range of criticisms and yeah. Peterson is not a secret Christian, guys, but we hope that one day he will be a not secret Christian. <laughs> amen. Yes. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for being on the podcast, Ian. Thanks for having me, Carmen. It was fun as always. Yes. I'm